0: Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, here we go. It's John chapter 3. Look over John chapter 3. We're going to try to cover, no, we're going to cover verses 22 to 36 tonight. And let me begin by by asking you a question that you're not going to answer, but I'll answer for you. Uh, And that is, if you were to choose or somebody asked you at dinner or somewhere, who is uh, who's the greatest person that, uh, to have ever lived apart from Jesus Christ? And you thought about that question and you had to answer that question, who would you say that is? Now, I don't need you to answer that one. We all have our own, but we also know that Jesus said the greatest person to ever live was who? Now you can answer it's John the Baptist. Now, look in the little notes that you have. You have notes right there that I leave you at the door. It says in Matthew 11:11, it says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So now you, you see this is the greatest among women ever born. Now, think about who Jesus passed over. He passes over Noah. That's a kind of an important guy, right? He passes over Abraham. That guy's the father of the faith. He passes over King David, over him. He passes over Moses. Moses, the deliverer, passes over all these guys, and he says, the greatest among you born of women is John the Baptist. And if you think about John the Baptist, he, was, he, didn't, he did not run with the elites, did he? No, and he dressed kind of weird, did he not? and if he if he walked around and came to any of the parties which he wouldn't do he would probably put every sin there is in that room right he's a very uncompromising guy he's not going to I should say he doesn't compromise things he shares you straight about what's right and what's wrong he's a very kind of to put it bluntly he's aggressive and he's kind of strange correct and yet here's this guy that Jesus says he's the greatest among born among women, among people here. He's the greatest of all. Now, what made him great? That's some of the things we're going to cover tonight. It's not everything we're going to cover tonight, but when we get into the nitty-gritty of some of his life, some of the things written here, we're going to see what made this man so great. Now, if you have your paper there, you're taking notes, the first one's a quick one. That is, number one, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Now, in verse 22 it says this, it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. So now we find from John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus has left, uh, he leaves Galilee there, and he's come into Judea, he's down in the south again, and but now he's going to be moving again to another location. Now, You cannot read verse 22 here without reading chapter four, verse one and two. Look at chapter four, one and two, because this is where it's all going. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So you connect those two together and you see Jesus is moving to another location. Chapter four is a Samaritan woman. So he's moving that direction as he's baptizing. Now we'll get to that in a second. But did you notice something unique and specific about Jesus and the baptisms that are going on now? What did John point out about the baptisms at this time? Jesus is not doing the baptizing. Who is doing the baptizing? The disciples are now doing the baptizing, which is a really important statement because we are ambassadors for Christ, are we not? We're the ones that carry out the ministry, are we not? And so now he's allowing them to do the ministry because one day he's gonna be gone and they've gotta be trained to do these things correctly because on the day of Pentecost on that south side of the temple, and if you ever go to Israel with us in Jerusalem, you see all these areas where they did all the baptizing when the 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost, they baptized there. And, so, and these were the disciples who were baptized there. So now you see, they're being trained at this moment to be sent out and to eventually be the ones to carry out the ministry. You always have to be trained, people. Somebody's going to come after you and do the ministry. Amen to that one right there? Now, let's move on. Point two in your notes, and that's this. John the Baptist continues to do the work God called him to do. Really important. Look at verse 23. It says, John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. Now, sidebar really quickly. You ever notice the Bible points out certain things like, why does it say that? It points out there's a lot of water where John is baptizing. Now, why would it point out that there's a lot of water in that place? I I couldn't tell you exactly why, but I can tell you what I think. I think he points it out because water baptism is by immersion, correct? The word baptize means to dip and to immerse. It means you're going to be put in that water, all the way in there, in that water. So when he says there was a lot of water there, it just makes a lot of sense. Now, in 30 years of New Beginnings and all the people I baptized throughout the years, I've only had one person, one person that said, no, I, I, I can't do this. I believe in sprinkling, just the sprinkling of water. Have you ever heard that before? So I got a hose. No, I just didn't do that. No. You want to be sprinkled? No, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, and so he said, no, I just can't do that. But what did I do with that situation? I said, okay, that doesn't bug me, you know, because always remember that water baptism, though very important, is it essential for salvation? No, it isn't. It's not essential for salvation. So you don't get hung up on what's called the non-essentials. See, there are essentials. And in the essentials, we have unity, the virgin birth, the blood atonement of Jesus, he's God in the flesh, et cetera, et cetera. You don't compromise those things ever. And if people start compromising it, you're in big trouble at that moment. But there are non-essentials. For instance, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power. I, I pray in tongues every day. But if you choose not to believe, is it essential for salvation? And the answer is, no, I'm not going to have a heart attack over that one. Do I want you to speak in tongues like Paul said? I hope I wish you all spoken. Yeah, I want everybody to but I'm not going to die over that one. It's a non-essential. And so, like I told that person, I go, it's okay. If you don't want to, you don't want to. No, No biggie to me. Now, I want you to look back at that verse again in verse 23. Notice the two places that are mentioned there where they're baptizing. Anon means place of springs. Salim in Aramaic, similar to the word shalom, which means what? It means peace. That's right. Now, Many scholars, not all, but many scholars believe because this area, because the movement, the next chapter, everything, that this place is near Shechem in Samaria. Now, that becomes very important. Back to that point that I gave you that John the Baptist continues to minister, he's not stopping now that Jesus is on the scene. So it's near this area. Now, the Samaritans, very briefly, because in We'll get to this chapter. Chapter 4 is a fantastic chapter of John. And about the third week in there, we're really going to dig out that thing, the ethnicity of it. But it's, they're ethnically separated people. The Jews, are, um, they're, they're Jewish. But the Samaritans, they aren't. They aren't completely Jewish. They're part Assyrian and part Jewish when there was an intermarrying when the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Israel and they brought their people in, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's that big separation ethnically and yet also religiously too. And we'll, we'll talk about there as we, as, we go, as we move along. Now, Jesus is now on the scene. <clears throat> and now that he's on the scene, it would be easy for John the Baptist to say what? Well, my work is done. If Jesus is here, I can relax now. I can just kick back at a fishing pole. I can do whatever I want. And you know, what does John do? No. Where did I just say he was this place now where they're going towards? He's going towards Samaria. These are the Samaritans. And now John is right there with them. Is he still preparing the way? He's still preparing the way. He's still doing these things. You know what I like about that? I like it. He realizes that, Even though certain parts are finished or you're getting to a certain age or whatever it is, you never stop serving God. Amen? You know, you could say, I've heard a few, not many. Well, I've been serving 10 years. I'm done now. Really? You're done now? At what point did you read that one in the scriptures, you know? You're never done serving. The greatest among us is the servant, are they not? And we're always servants of God. And so you're always, you're always doing these things. And you've heard me share this before. I really like the guy, um, I like Caleb in the Old Testament because Caleb, when he gets to the promised land, he has been fighting battles for 40 years. Remember that guy? And they want to give him a retirement cottage on the beach. Remember that? And my Jim Del Campo paraphrased, vernacular, I like to say it like this. And Caleb says, I don't need no stinking cottage on the beach. Uh Uh-uh. You see that hill over there? There's giants up on that hill. And I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago, and I wanna go kill some more giants up there. So give me that hill up there. And he's a great example of, yes, let's keep going until we just can't go anymore, right? So you never stop serving God. You keep on pushing and pushing. Now, verse 24 says, For John had not been thrown into prison. Now, we know what happened to John, right? John the Baptist. He gets beheaded. Now, why? Because it was the request, if you don't know this, uh, it was at the request of a stripper at a, birth, at a drunken birthday party for one of Herod's the great sons. That's why he's beheaded. Can you imagine? You think John ever thought to himself when he was doing the ministry, I, I'm probably going to get beheaded because the stripper wants my head cut off at a drunken bash. You ever thought he thought that? There's no way. He never would have thought that's my li- the way my life is going to end. But that's the way his life ended right there. So at this time, he had not been thrown into prison yet. Look at verse 25. Now, as they're out there baptizing, there arose, therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. So now John the Baptist's disciples are getting into discussion. A Jewish man, we don't know who, we may think it's some of the ones earlier in the text, earlier in John, they start dialoguing about purification. Now, do you guys remember purification? Last week, we talked out of Mark 7. Remember all the washings and everything they would do? All the purification. Remember in John 2 at the wedding at Cana, they had the six giant vessels for purification. Remember those things? So John keeps on this idea where he keeps showing the old religious ways are a failure. They're not making it anymore for the people. And so this this thing keeps popping up and popping up. Now, I want to show you something, how things can trigger and things can change. And this is what you got to watch out for when you share your faith. Because the purification issue comes up with this guy. But look at verse 25, point 3 I should say. A doctrinal issue moves to a personal issue. In your notes, a doctrinal issue moves to a personal issue. In those notes that I give you. Look at verse 25 and look at verse 26 again. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. This is a doctrinal thing, correct? More of a traditional thing. Then verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he, that's, they're talking about Jesus now. He was with thee beyond the Jordan to whom whom you have testified. Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, did you notice a transition? No, did you catch a transition? Think of what just happened. They're speaking doctrinal issues. They're speaking theology in a sense. And all of a sudden, the conversation shifts. Hey, you know that guy that you baptized at the Jordan? People are following him now, and they're leaving us. Did you see how that shifted? Because that's the way it shifted. Now, it's interesting to me that all of a sudden, it moves from a doctrinal issue Now it gets personal, right? Right? Okay. Have you ever been sharing your faith with somebody and they have a difference of this and that and it starts getting personal? It gets personal fast, doesn't it? Especially in our day and age, huh? Now, recently, I was in a conversation and it got a little personal. And this person, um, I was sharing back, but this person made this statement to me uh, it came up and they just brought it boom out of the blue they said well i believe in uh, a woman's reproductive rights and you know in my mind my theological mind starts clicking 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 and then you know and i you know i know that science already says that life begins at conception not christians but science says that medical science says that all that stuff and so um he got he was a little reactionary and uh I, you know, in me, you know, my, the, the inner Jim Del Campo, John the Baptist, wanted to get reactionary, okay? And so I wanted to really go at it. Uh, but I stayed calm, I stayed calm, I stayed calm. Calm my voice down. I just, okay, calm down, Jim. You know why I did that? You know why I could do that? Because they're not saved. Their eyes aren't open. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, I can't possibly expect them to see it through spiritual lenses. I can't possibly expect them to see that Jesus was in the first trimester when he shows up there and John the Baptist is in probably the third trimester and they both leap in the womb. I can't get them to see that. He's not going to see that. But I could have said all those things. You say, Jim, did you back off? No. (laughs) Back off? No, no. No. But I made the statement, a few statements to him, and I said basically correcting them didn't but in love you know but i didn't get all hyped up i didn't get all i didn't do any of those things because how many of you ever notice when you're sharing and it gets personal you say things you wish you'd never said you ever notice that or you forget to say things on a logical spiritual level that you know you should have said right so you stay calm you just stay calm in those situations so always remember that because things can shift quickly From theological to personal, really, really fast. You've got to be aware of that. Now, number four in your notes, and that's this Christianity is not competitive. Now, some people think it is, but it is is not. Look at verse 26 again. We're going to use this idea here. It says, And they came to John and said to him, Look, they're coming to John the Baptist. They're coming to John the Baptist. And notice what they say Rabbi, he was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified. He's talking about Jesus. Behold, he is baptizing. Question, what has John been doing? Baptizing. But now he's baptizing, and all are what? They're all coming to him now. Now think about what they're telling John the Baptist. Question, what are they tempting John with? What are they tempting him to feel? Jealousy. John, hey, that guy Jesus... They're leaving us. He's baptizing people. And they're leaving us. And they're going over to him now. Now, one of Satan's greatest temptations, whether in the church, outside the church, Christian, not Christian, but let's say Christian first, is to make the servant of God jealous of another servant of God's success, right? It's very easy. It's a great temptation that he puts forth. Let's make people jealous. We see this, let's leave the church now, leave Christianity, and they're using this in secular circles. Now, I can drill down more in here than I can on Sunday mornings. I'm limited time, but I can use this a little more here. But this is what they say now. You know, they they make, you know, and you want to debate with me later, I'm fine with this one, okay. But uh, they say, oh, you know, the the rich, you know, they make too much. They need to pay their fair share. They need to be taxed way more, way more. Question, who creates the jobs in America? The rich people do. I have no problem with rich people getting richer and richer because they create all kinds of jobs, right? No, do you see that? Always remember that. Government doesn't create jobs. They just tax things and throw money at things. People create jobs. Now, with that said, they're creating a jealousy in America, and it's rampant. It's all over like, it's not fair. They have all this, and look at me, right? Am I right? Yes. That's what they're doing. So I would just tell people, if you want to make more money, then go do something about it. You know, go to school, start a business. You know, and don't sit there and say, they owe you. No one owes anyone anything, right? If you had a 38-year-old son or daughter living at home, and they don't want to work, and they, you owe me, you owe me, what are you going to do with that kid? you're right, let's go find a rich person because it's not fair to give you money. You're going to do that? No, you're going to make them grow up, right? What they're doing is they're teaching Americans not to grow up. It's exactly what they're doing. Now, I'm way off paper right now, okay? So just (laughs) so you know. Now, jealousy, jealousy in ministry, jealousy among Christians. Now, did you know that Moses and Paul and even Jesus' disciples, they faced the temptation of jealousy? They all faced it. Now, in your notes, keep your marker here, turn to the Gospel of Luke, just to the left a little bit, chapter 9, and watch this. Chapter 9. Now, watch what's going on with the disciples. Because the disciples, sometimes we think they're so holy and so pure. Watch how dysfunctional they are. And whenever you see dysfunction in the disciples, always feel better about yourself, amen? Amen because we fit right in. Look at verse 46 to 50 of of Luke 9. It says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. Can you imagine if the staff at New Beginnings is here going, Hey, which one of us is greater? I would set them straight, right? No, I'm just saying. But this it breaks out, what, which one of us is the greatest? Verse 47, but Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart. Isn't it great that Jesus knows everything we're thinking? That's either the best news you've ever heard or the worst news you've ever heard. <laughs> he, he took a child and stood, stood him by his side. So Jesus knows what the, brings a child, and he says to them, whoever receives his child in my name receives me, and whoever receives Uh, receives me receives him who sent me for the one who is least among all of you this is the one who is great did he set him straight yes verse 49 john answered and said master this is this is john the gospel writer now master we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us do you see it See the competitive nature? Uh, what does Jesus say? But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him. For he who is not against us, not against you, is, is for you. We're all on the same team in the Christian circles. So you have no spirit of jealousy or rivalry. It's like you should rejoice over things when you see good things happening for others or through others in the kingdom of God. Correct? Now, the way John handles, John the Baptist, go back to John 3, the way John the Baptist handles this temptation tells you why he's he's the greatest born among women. Now, there's three bullet points in those notes that you have there, and the first one is, everything I have belongs to God, amen? Amen. Look at verse 27, watch how John answers, because they said, hey, people are leaving you, that Jesus is baptizing more people, John says this in verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from, from heaven, oh, so everything I have comes from and belongs to God, only the follower of Christ knows that and understands that and should be believing that, everything, everything I own, every success I've achieved, everything that's come to me, every spiritual gift I have, everything comes from God and belongs to God. And that's just it. You know, even my children in Psalm 127, they're just on loan to me. Did you know that? Even children are on loan. You can't even take credit for that one. You know, well, maybe some credit, but anyway, it's okay to giggle. That's okay. Now, when when he says these words here, in verse 27, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from God. What Old Testament suffering, suffering person does he remind you of? Job, man. Poor old Job. Watch, turn over to Job right before Psalms. Go back to Psalms in your Old Testament. Go to Job's 40 chapters or so. Go to chapter uh, 1 and check out Job because Job's life is falling apart, everything's going wrong. You know, and Job's going to make a statement because, um, <clears throat> you know, because based on everything that's happened. Now, in Job chapter 1, after everything falls apart, I mean, and I mean it fell apart, he had so much. He had accumulated so much success, so much money, so many things, and he loses it all, which is easy to do. Verse 21, <clears throat> chapter 1. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could we say that? If we lost everything? And then it says in verse 22, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Think of how many times we've been God. God, why didn't you do it? Calm down, everybody. Calm down, okay? So he's basically stating what John the Baptist is stating that a man can receive nothing it has been given him from God. Everything I have and everything I own belongs to God. Now, back to John chapter 3. Your second bullet point about John the Baptist uh, and his answers, he says, I am only a messenger sent by God. I am only a messenger sent by God. There's ambassador again. We are sent. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Now, look at verse 28 of John 3. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. Now, he says, I'm not the Messiah. I have been sent ahead of him. Remember that. And the temptation for him, because remember, they're leaving you. They're leaving you. Question, was it bad or good that they're leaving John the Baptist to follow Jesus. It's good. But what do John the Baptist followers think it is? They think it's bad. He says, no, it's good. This is what it's all about. I came as the forerunner. I'm preparing the way. So it's okay if they go now and they follow Jesus. I'm just a messenger and that's all I am. And guys, we're all just messengers. Jesus says to the disciples, remember, go into all the world. Remember that one? The word go in Matthew 28 means going. You're never stop going. You're always ministering. You're always ready to uh, share your faith when opportunities arise. You don't stop doing that. This is a nonstop effort in the kingdom of God. Now, the third bullet point is this one. He says, my purpose is to introduce Jesus as the Christ. That's my purpose. So now you're understanding why this guy's the greatest born among women. He says, everything I have belongs to God. I'm only a messenger sent by God. And my purpose is to introduce Jesus as the Christ. Look verse 29. John gives you a beautiful illustration. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. Makes sense, right? But the friend of the bridegroom is who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice so this joy of mine has been made full now john gives maybe one of his best illustrations here and that is he is the friend of the bridegroom now the friend of the bridegroom is called the shushpin the shushpin he's the be- like our best man at a wedding and the rabbis believe that the Shoshbin at Adam's marriage to Eve, the Shoshbin was God himself. That's what the rabbi had, that's how they look at it. Very interesting, huh? But the Shoshbin, this friend of the groom there, he um he does way more than today's best man. He helps the groom actually build the area where he will eventually bring his bride. He does that. And this guy also. When it comes time, and there's way more, I'm just going to give you a few things. When, he, um, when it comes time for the groom to take his bride, which could be anywhere from three, four months to a year after they've accepted their betrothed now, then they, they c- consummate it up, up to a year later. He, when the bride comes and the groom gets the bride, the, the friend of the bridegroom, you know what his job is? One of his jobs is during the wedding ceremony, which lasts how many days? Seven Can you imagine a seven-day wedding? His job, because remember in John 2, they ran out of wine. Remember that? Remember? Okay. So this guy's job, the Shoshman's job, is when the groom takes his bride and they go into the honeymoon chamber that's been built, his job is to stand out front and nobody comes in that room and disturbs him. That's his job. And so John the Baptist is saying, they're going to Jesus? That's fine. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the groom. I'm not the one. Can you imagine if the, at a wedding, the, the, the best man, he thinks he married the bride? That would be insane, huh? And John the Baptist is giving you that right there. He goes, no, I'm, I'm just the guy. John says, I'm the guy that introduces people to the groom, to Jesus Christ. That's all I am. Now, look at verse 30. And I'm going to give you something that's not in your notes. Then he says, "He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease." Now, this this is a really cool little. Some of you might find it cool. Maybe some of you are going, "Oh, that was so so." I think it's really cool. Right, it's not, write these things down. I'll, I'll say it for you. There's the three musts, M U S T S, of John chapter three. The three musts of John three. I'm going to show them to you. The three musts of John 3. Look at verse 7 of chapter 3. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must, do not be amazed that I said to you, you, you must be born again. So there's, first one is the must of the sinner. Verse 7, you must be born again. Got it? Now let's look at verse 14. Jesus speaking. As Moses lifted up the serpent, in the wilderness. Even so, come on. You guys not in verse 14? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So there's a second must. Now you have the must of the Savior. So first you have the must of the sinner, then you have the must of the Savior. And then in verse 30 that we read at the beginning, it says, he must increase and I must increase decrease. So now you have the must of the servant. So you have the must of the sinner. You must be born again. You have the must of the Savior. So too must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you have the must of the servant. I must decrease. He must increase. So you have the three musts of John chapter 3. Isn't that a fascinating little thing right there? Okay, not, not even for any of you, just for me. Did you like, anybody like that right there? Okay, good. I know. Thank you. I feel better about my life now, but anyway. Now, number five in your notes, and that's this. Uh, To oppose Jesus is to oppose the truth. To oppose Jesus is to oppose the truth. Now, verse 31 to 33. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. Doesn't that sound like the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus? It's, so, it's such a parallel again. These same themes are coming up. He who comes from heaven is above all. Now, he's giving you a picture and precedent where Jesus comes from. Verse 32. What he, Jesus, has seen and heard, because he comes from heaven, remember? Of that he, Jesus, testifies, and no one receives his testimony. Verse 33. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. Now, let me give you a quick sidestep here, and then we'll, I'll give you a little bit right here. Well, look at this. Look at verse 32. It's a kind of an interesting little thing that's going on here. He says, after all that, he says, he testifies, and how many people receive his testimony? How many? No one. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look back at verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. All are coming to Jesus, and yet what? And what? no one receives his testimony. All are coming to Jesus, and no one receives his testimony. Isn't that interesting? What does that even mean? It's not a contradiction. There's a meaning in there that people are flocking to Jesus, are they not? And you can going to have big crowds, can't you? Does that mean that everybody in these crowds are receiving the testimony of Jesus? Doesn't necessarily mean anything. You could have all kinds of people coming. It doesn't mean that they've received the words of God, that they're receiving the testimony of Jesus. And you always got to be careful with stuff like that. It's interesting how it makes a distinction between the two in these verses right there. Now, 31 to 33, let me show you how they break down. It. The first thing we see in verse 31 Jesus comes from heaven. Because remember, to oppose Jesus is to oppose the what? The truth. truth. Jesus comes from heaven, 31. And then in verse 32, because he comes from heaven, Jesus testifies to what he has seen and what he has what? Heard. Now, what has he seen and what has he heard? The Father, right? So Jesus comes from heaven, and he has seen and heard, and all this he gets from God the Father. All this truth that he's going to lay out, that he's going to testify, he gets from God the Father. And then in verse 33, it it finalizes that little three set right there. And he says, you got to set your seal to this, that God is what? God is true. God is true. Ah, so God is true. So it doesn't really matter if I feel something different than this. Is God true? But what if I think something different than this? Who's true, God or me? Right? Do you know there's a difference between knowledge and truth? Have you ever thought that one out? There's a difference between knowledge and truth. The culture, they'll give you knowledge, but is it necessarily the truth? No. No. There's a difference between the two. And you always got to remember that, that you're going to be confronted with things that they're going to say, oh, you know, scientifically this, this, and this, and this is what it is. And they're going to say that contradicts the Bible, and they're going to make it the truth. No, they have knowledge, but is it true? God is true. God's word is true. And you give them enough time, and they'll prove that God's word is true on their own. Have you noticed that one? Have you noticed that one? So it doesn't matter what people feel or what they think, it's God is true. Okay, let's take the truth aspect. When someone, you're sharing with somebody, and they make a moral statement. Let me go back to that statement the person made to me. I believe in a woman's reproductive rights. In other words, he believes in abortion. That the child in there is not a child. It's not a real human. It's not this. They can abort it. Now, question, question. They don't believe in God. So what can they base their truth on? What do they have to base it on? Words. Not even science. No, it doesn't say science. Science says it's a life. The moment begins at conception. What are they basing their truth on? Whatever they think. Whatever they think. And then if you're going to talk to somebody and they don't believe in God at all, then you really got to ask the question, so you don't believe there's a God at all? No, I go, so where'd you get you, where do you get your moral law at? What do you base it on? Because if there is no God, then there is no soul. There's nothing like that. So therefore, you're just a bunch of atoms bouncing around your head, and there's no rhyme or reason to why you're doing what you're doing, right? Right. You you could take that argument all the way down the road there and show them. It doesn't mean they're going to accept it, but think about it. You have the truth. And one of the things about truth is, how many of the truth is really volatile, the truth of God's word? You ever share the truth with somebody and they get a little bit mad? They get volatile. That's why Romans chapter 1 around verse 19, somewhere in there says, says they suppress the truth of God in righteousness. They suppress it. They push it down. And when you and I share the truth, it starts coming up and they get mad. That's that's what's happening right in front of you because the truth of God is in them. It's rattling. They know what truth is, but it just starts to rattle in a person. And you're just the messenger. You're just sharing it. You don't realize you're dropping nuclear bombs inside of them at that time. Because God's word is true. See, guys, no matter what, God is true. And let every man be called a liar, the Bible says, right? God is true. Now, look at verse 34 to 36. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. What a, a load right there, huh? If we're sent from God, we should be speaking the words of God. Should we not? For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides in him. Okay. Only time. It's the only place where John uses the word wrath in the gospel or his epistles. He will use it six times in Revelation. It's the only time he uses it here. It's the only time. And so the question is, why does he use it here? Why does he use it in this whole context right here? He has to use it. Because he's putting forth to people and to us and to the readers, he's saying, when it comes to Jesus, you can't be neutral. It's either one way or the other. You're going to trust him or you're not going to trust him. And so he's laying down that real hard line right there. You cannot be neutral in your faith with Jesus because you're going to stand before him one day and say, well, I just took kind of the middle ground. (laughs) I'm sorry. You can't do that. And watch this. Back at verse 18, last verse, this was already stated by Jesus. He who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus already laid it down. And so John comes along and he finishes and he lays down that word in the wrath of God, the wrath of God, because you can't remain neutral in these things. You got to pick them or not pick them, but you can't remain neutral. Amen. We'll pause here and we'll study, start studying the Samaritan woman, which is a fascinating study. Uh, next Tuesday night. So let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your word, Lord. We get to see some of the inner workings of this man, uh, John the Baptist, and how he, um, God, why he was considered the greatest born among women. They just had great qualities of this man. Great qualities. Thank you, Lord, that we could study these things. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to christ please reach out to us on our social media on facebook and instagram at nbcc norco or email us at hello at nbcc.com thank you for listening don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast